Hello, everyone. Welcome to 2021 and welcome to the Back to the Cod Cabin. I am Jesse Hahn, of course, here with Adam Bass and Logan Rabe. Our friend Jack Leary is off today. Uh, today, obviously, we're going to talk about uh, Ron Mariano, the new Speaker of the House here in Massachusetts. Uh, Adam, you want to take it away? Yes, Jesse. So, uh, Rob, uh, Robert Mariano, he is, or Ron Mariano, pardon me. I'm thinking of Bob DeLeo, Robert, uh, Robert DeLeo. It's still very interesting because this is what, this is for any of us, the first transition of power from speaker to speaker in the Massachusetts State House. So you're going to get uh, name mix-ups here and there, but Ron Mariano uh, hails from Quincy. Uh, he has become uh, the newest speaker of the house uh, in Massachusetts. Uh, as Bob DeLeo, the speaker for about 10 years now, has decided to step down on his own terms, uh, which is rare since in modern times, Massachusetts State House leaders or speakers have been indicted uh, when they have stepped down. But thankfully for DeLeo, he has not been indicted for a crime and has decided to step down on his own terms. He will be uh, teaching at his alma mater, Northeastern University, so Northeastern. Uh, please say hello, warm welcome to Professor DeLeo. Uh, but Ron, Ron Mariano, he is, he was the House Majority Speaker for a long, or not speaker, leader for the longest time. And according to Matt Stout of the Boston Globe, he has been wanting this position for a very long time. Uh, quote, uh, now the day which Mariano has been patiently waiting for may be near. With DeLeo preparing to leave Beacon Hill, which he has, uh, for a job at Northeastern University, which he also has, Mariano's supporters say he has he has more than enough votes to, lined up to succeed the Winthrop Democrat, which he has. So, yes, uh, as of I believe December thirty first, uh, Mariano has been elected the new Speaker of the House. Now, in terms of what he wants to do, he has said to Commonwealth Magazine that he wants to focus on two main fo uh, focuses. Those are healthcare and climate. Um, now, you guys uh, probably know this, uh, but Mariano used to be part of what made Romney Care uh, a thing in Massachusetts. Uh, Logan, uh, I'm sure you know a little bit about what Romney Care was and what transformed into today. Yeah, well, Romney Care was basically the uh, predecessor to Obamacare. Obamacare was based a lot of it on Romney Care. And it was really the nation leading healthcare policy. To, and we were, uh, Massachusetts was quite a leader in that um, in, in terms of covering as many people as possible. So I'll definitely be interested to see what happens, um, what, what Mariano decides to do uh, in terms of healthcare. I don't know how, if, if he'll be going any farther than what a Biden administration would be doing, will be there be maybe a public option or what, where, where exactly will he fall there? Right, and but for him, he has made a statement about, uh, more specifically in the Commonwealth article, that he wants to set up more uh, local hospitals. Uh, with the COVID-19 pandemic really causing a strain on Massachusetts healthcare system, as well as frontline workers, a call for more hospitals would probably be warranted within the public sphere since uh, the, the common amount of hospitals right now are currently facing tough strains. Um, I think it's a warranted uh, want from the speak from the new speaker, and I think for many people in Massachusetts, they would be fine having more field hospitals and more local hospitals that are affordable uh, for people to access. 
Yeah, I think the issue there is that the insurance companies don't pay enough to the local hospitals. So uh, Mariana wants to help them uh, help them keep afloat. And that's really a, a problem we're seeing across the country with uh, with rural hospitals. But uh, that's definitely, I think it's good to see that he understands the details of healthcare policy. And I'm looking forward to see what he'll be doing. There's a great quote um, in the 20, I think it was the 2019 elections, um, where a lot of people were trying to get him uh, you know, to say a couple speeches for his reelection and trying to get the Massachusetts House more progressive. And he say, and I quote, I just want to do healthcare stuff. Like that was his quote. And it was like just the most earnest quote that you could have from a legislator. And and that's sort of uh, the aspect of Mariano that uh, many people have described him as. He's a man of very few little words, but a lot of action. Now, Jesse, I'm gonna turn things over to you because uh, many people on Twitter, especially, and in the progressive sphere of Massachusetts, aren't too happy with Mariana becoming speaker. Yeah, um, if you've been on Twitter anytime this week or in the past few weeks talking about the Massachusetts speaker race, um, you've seen a lot of unhappy people, uh, especially on the left, to um, Mariano's election. You know, Mariano is basically the epitome of a Massachusetts establishment Democrat. He's, he's a moderate. Uh, I think one of his colleagues described him as basically Massachusetts' Joe Biden. He's a consummate insider, as the Globe uh, article said. Um, he has dinner with lobbyists. He has dinner with um, his colleagues. So The North End Steakhouse is mind you. <laughs> yeah, Ronnie and the boys. He's, Ronnie and the boys. He's not going to, he's not going to be pushing for uh, any extremely bold legislation that um, people on the left are looking for, but you know this is just more of an extension of Bob DeLeo and Salvatore Damasi's speakerships. Yeah, just just hopefully with with that uh, Damasi's um, little scandal at the end. Yeah, yeah. But um, DeLeo, not DeLeo. Um, but uh, Mariano has stated that he does want to make some steps forward uh, in, in, the, in the sense of transparency in the Massachusetts um, State House and has tried to reach out to more progressive activists outside of the State House. Because when you look at it, and Matt Sivafransky uh, of, of WMASPI has stated that there is a difference between progressives within the House and the Senate versus outside of the House and the Senate, you know. Those people, those lawmakers have known uh, DeLeo and Mariano for quite a long time and have cut deals with them to try to get their legislation across. Uh, for example, I think uh, I was talking to Lindsay Sabadosa for an article in the for WMASPI and, you know, the Roe Act, which was recently overridden by both the Massachusetts House and the Senate um, and put into law was really uh, the culmination of Claire Cronin, the House uh, the House Judiciary Chair, and Bob DeLeo, as well as a little bit of Ron Mariano. So, you know, it, it's not just the progressives that really run the show in Massachusetts. It's, it's all about making deals, and it's all about finding compromise. You know, there, there's an old saying that America is based on compromise, and what better place to experience that saying than in the cradle of America, which is Massachusetts. Um, Oh, no, go on, go on. Yeah, I was just going to say that um, 
Mariano is definitely DeLeo's preferred candidate for this because uh, DeLeo specifically chose when to resign. He could have resigned uh, in next session, which would have given more time to vote, or he could have just announced he wasn't going to run for re-election in the first place. And what that did is it shortened the time to just a few days that they had to decide uh, who the next speaker was. And since Mariano was the obvious favorite, it meant there was no room for any challenges in mm -hmm. there. And it's interesting too because he he chose to make his his uh, uh, decision final on the day of the override. So for many uh, media folk and public folk, people are going to remember uh, Bob DeLeo as the guy who overrid Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker and said, "No, um, we're going to codify our abortion rights." And honestly, that is not a bad way to go out on. You know, uh, again, comparing to what other Massachusetts House leaders have gone out on, which is corruption charges and other charges, um, this is a high point for the former speaker. So one, yeah, one, go on, go on. Um, I'm one sorry. other thing. <laughs> yeah, one other thing uh, I just wanted to put on the record is that, you know, um, when Mariano was being elected House Speaker, he was introduced by Russell Holmes, who was talking about running against him, which just shows how Massachusetts is just an establishment-run <laughs> political machine. Of course, the thing about uh, establishment is that it can be molded in a different way. I mean, the Massachusetts establishment of, say, John McCormick's era of Irish Catholic, um, uh, I guess you could say working class rights has definitely changed back to a more, um, I guess the word I'm looking for is Brahmin-based social views. Um, which is fine, you know, all roads lead back to the suburbs in Massachusetts, let's be fair here. Um, and, you know, a lot of, there, there's not that many Irish folk left in Massachusetts and now, or, or especially in the cities, which are becoming, I, th I think, less gentrified these days. I know they're still trying to keep it gentrified, um, but, it, you know, uh, time takes, time will do damage to that. And, you know, it's becoming more social based than fiscal based in Massachusetts, which, you know, I, I think it's fine for the state itself. I'm not so sure how well it would do for the for the Democratic Party nationally as a whole. Um, and I know the Republican Party of Massachusetts is trying to go full social, and that's not really helping them, um, or, or social in their own right, because you know, obviously, uh, social issues in Massachusetts for a Democrat is much different than a social issue for a Republican. Yeah, that also brings up another recent piece of news where the Massachusetts Republicans just uh, re-elected Jim Leons as uh, their their chairman. Is it Leons um, or Lyons? I don't, I don't know. Jim Lyons. Jim Lyons. He was my rep. <laughs> okay. It just sounds cooler, you know. Well, yeah, he was re-elected, which shows a tight margin, I believe. It was something like 39 to 36 or something yep. like that. That's right. That's and right. that... Um, that's that's going to be quite interesting because I, the the last two years of Massachusetts Republicans haven't exactly been, um, been too bright, losing most of their a lot of their state legislative seats, um, and really underperforming in most of their congressional elections. So mm -hmm. it's not, not exactly had, uh, what they wanted to see. They had candidates for Congress sue to overturn election results, which doesn't speak well to the party as a whole. You want to talk about that, Jesse? Not really. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, I don't think it's much of a story. But, you know, while Jack isn't here right now, he did make a comment in our little chat, which basically said, when, when I think it was Logan that posted the results, um, Jack pretty much said, poor Massachusetts GOP. And yeah, I think if I were the GOP in Massachusetts, I would say, you know, maybe it's time for a more of a leadership change. You know, what made Charlie Baker work and what makes our candidates not work right now? Obviously, we want to pay more attention to those vote with your pocket book Republicans that could switch back in 2022. They may not if the party keeps doing what it's doing, which could vote some trouble for any Republican candidate that's not Charlie Baker. But I, I think going down the social route, especially since Trump is leaving office now, is not the best call for at least the Massachusetts GOP. I can't say for other state GOPs. But not this one. I think, you know, nationwide right now, it's a battle between pragmatic um, moderation for the GOP or getting your base's vote. Like, if your base isn't going to turn out, you're not winning this election at all. So, as you've seen in Georgia uh, with Kelly Leffer, David Perdue, they're playing to their base for this runoff. They're not moderating their message at all. And I think that's what the mass GOP is trying to do. They're not going to win any elections any big elections, maybe other other aside from the governor's race, but you know, they're gonna stay true to their values and they're not gonna they're not gonna sacrifice any of it. Speaking of Georgia, and we can actually make a Massachusetts uh, connection here, um, the Democrats in Georgia are also doing that too. They're trying to bring out all the big guns and turning out their base, Barack Obama, uh, Joe Biden, but also uh, more left-leaning Democrats such as Massachusetts seventh uh, representative, Ayanna Presley, who was just making calls to Georgia and has been virtually uh, stumping for the candidates. And, you know, <laughs> okay. Anyways, but yes, uh, it's really to turn out all sorts of different people in Georgia um, and really sort of get all different perspectives, you know, not just the centrist Repub Republicans, uh, Democrats down there, but also the more left-leaning uh, Democrats that are in the Atlanta metro area. So, you know, it's an all, it's, it's really an all hands on deck effort. And, you know, there's a great article written by uh, Asted Wellesley, I think his last name is. I uh, Asted Wesley, I think. Asted Wesley, know. thank you. Uh, who used to work at the Boston Globe. So there's another Massachusetts uh, connection there, but it's a great topic of how it's really a turnout drive. And, you know, I think for the Democrats here, too, it's going to be, you know, finding your base and turning it out there. Of course, for the Democrats here, the base is pretty much everywhere in the state at this point. Your, your tent is pretty much expanded to its maximum. Yeah. Um, do we want to switch gears onto the 19th Suffolk District race to replace DeLeo? Sure. Yeah. So uh, DeLeo obviously left to see. Um, there's a pretty big race shaping up uh, in that district right now. It'll probably be maybe high single digits, um, low double digits, number of Democratic candidates. It's obviously a safe Democratic seat. Uh, Adam, you have any insight? Yes, I do. Uh, so there are about, so I'm not sure if there are any Republicans who have declared this for, but Winthrop and Revere, these are pretty close to Boston. I guess you could call them Boston-esque suburbs. Um, you know, typical uh, Suffolk County area. I, I am planning a map series on these, uh, on the races there um, and really learning what these two areas are like. But I do know that there are four different types of can uh, 
current Democratic candidates running there. One of them, uh, who I just didn't, who I declare, not I declare, who declared on Facebook uh, just a couple days ago was, uh, let me see if I can pull up his name so I don't butcher it. Uh, yes, here it is. Valentino Capobianco, or better known as Tino Capobianco, who used to, who used to be the chief of staff for Paul Feeney, uh, the state senator in the Norton area of Massachusetts. Uh, he is from Winthrop, so he's uh, so he has a home field advantage there, um, and he has been given a bit of mixed reception uh, in in his announcement of the race. Uh, for many, you know. Uh, they say, you know, it's glad that he's there and he's, he's going to be announcing. But um, there has been a bit of a discourse uh, uh, over his social media as of late. And uh, that was because Kayla Walsh, who is well known within the Massachusetts political community uh, as one of the uh, leaders of Act on Mass and more progressive areas, has dug up some old tweets of his uh, from 2012, 2013. Um, with some very uh, non-PC uh, type of tweets that you would find today, something that you wouldn't hear candidates really talk about. Um, Jesse, why, why don't you, or Logan, I, I, I'm very unfamiliar with the, uh, the tweets themselves or just the, the opposition itself. So why don't you, uh, you guys talk about that? <laughs> Yeah, I think they had some sort of like sexual comments or something yeah. like that. I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was, thankfully, but yeah, definitely not, uh, not good. Yeah, but I will say that you know, the terminally online community like us aren't going to be the ones making up the majority of the electorate. So I don't really think any of this matters. Yeah, and especially, since, past anyway, so. especially since the three of us don't live in, in 19th Suffolk and <laughs> we don't know what that's going to be like. So we will have to see. Interestingly enough, I've learned that someone else very famous used to represent the 19th Suffolk district. And that is our very own secretary of the Commonwealth, William Galvin. Um, <laughs> yeah, he used to be the... Uh, uh, he was two representatives before DeLeo. Uh, after him came Susan Tracy, who was the first woman to represent the district. And then you, of course, have the man, the myth, the legend himself, Robert DeLeo. But yeah, it's very interesting that William Galvin uh, uh, used to represent this district. So I do wonder if he'll get involved with this race, if he'll make an endorsement, or, uh, or if DeLeo will make an endorsement. And if that does happen, that's going to be the kingmakers of this race. Yeah, I wonder what DeLeo's role at uh, Northeastern is. Is he a professor or is... He, he, they say he's going to be teaching there, so I would assume he's going to be a professor there. Yeah, so I, I'd expect an endorsement from him. Um, you know, I, I don't think Bill Galvin's going to step into the race. I think he's way too far removed from the seat. <laughs> yeah, though he has gotten um, more famous, I think. Many Massachusetts uh, voters I've talked to in Needham have really taken a liking to Galvin ever since he expanded vote by mail. Um, and since Winthrop and, uh, I'm sorry, Winthrop and Revere are those suburban areas of near Boston, they actually voted by mail a lot in the primary and in the general election. And, you know, they, they were pretty happy with what Galvin had, had proposed and are, and has implemented in those areas. So, Maybe he will hold some weight. 
Yeah, I think one of the candidates did uh, did like intern with DeLeo or something or worked for him. I'm not sure which one, but um, that could be interesting to, to watch. We're, we're definitely going to have to try to get them on the cabin sometime. But uh, any final thoughts? We are running out of time, actually. I wish we had Jack here. That's all I see. Yeah, Jack, come back, please. It's not the same without you. But don't worry. I think Jack will be back. All right, Jesse, you want to wrap things up? Yeah. Uh, thanks for joining us on the Cod Cabin. Um, we've got some surprises coming up in this new year lined up for y'all. And we look forward to joining, look forward to you joining us here on the Cod Cabin next time. Thank you.